0: Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 147. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at vjourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy at networknerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going?
1: Hey, John, I am doing great. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor-neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick.
0: Hey, uh... I have had a really busy week, and I've completely lost track of what it is that we're actually going to be talking about uh, today. What, what's what's on the agenda? I wish I'd done any kind of prep at all.
1: Oh, man, these guys that don't do their homework. All right, so here we go. This is part seven of what we originally thought would be two parts of our discussion of Deep Work by Cal Newport. Hold, hold on, hold on. Did you say part two of seven? Part two of seven? I thought I said seven of two. Oh my goodness! Seven of two.
0: Yeah. No, I got it now. We uh, thought we plan ahead, and then we uh,
1: actually talk a long time. We're trying to be ten x developers right now. We're three and a half x. Okay. Okay. You know what I mean? We're so on our we're, way. We're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. Yeah. We we underestimated. Sorry to interrupt. No worries. If you missed any of the episodes, check out Part 1, Episode 141, where we talked about the introduction, which talked about the main thesis points of why deep work and why of the book. In Episodes 142 and 143, we talked about the first rule of deep work, which is work deeply. In Episode 144, we talked about the second rule of deep work, embracing boredom. Episode 145 covered the third rule, which is quit social media, and that may or may not mean what you think it means. Last week, in episode 146, we covered the first part of the fourth rule, Drain the Shallows. Just a quick update on format. So what we'll do in the format here is we'll do some summarization about why we're talking about deep work, summarize what we read in Rule 4 again for you, and answer some key questions along the way. Do we believe the point and does it apply to us? Also, does it make us want to change? And what do we anticipate changing, if anything? One of the things we realize is that this is how we want to read important books from now on, those that have a big impact. And we'd like to model that by recording it on the podcast. So, summarizing big points, taking notes, recording our reactions, and record what we're trying to change.
0: Nice. Um, Maybe I should review then why we're reading the book at all. Yeah. So, Cal Newport wrote this book and he has what he calls a deep work hypothesis and, and here's a quote on like his definition of deep work deep work is professional activities performed in a state of distraction free concentration that pushes your cognitive abilities to their limit these efforts create new value improve your skill and are hard to replicate and then on flip side uh he defines shallow work which is non-cognitively demanding tasks That are often done while distracted which are easy to replicate and do not create a lot of value in the world you know with those definitions in mind he also writes out this hypothesis the ability to perform deep work is becoming increasingly rare at exactly the same time it is becoming increasingly valuable in our economy and as a consequence the few who cultivate this skill and then make it the core of their working life will thrive so we found this super compelling, and we wanted to bring the information to our listeners, you know, bring it to everybody's attention, and, uh, you know, as we pointed out, just kind of walk through each part of the book. And hopefully we're getting to the uh, the last episode of, you know, episode seven of A Planned Two.
1: But no promises, no promises. Yes, yeah,
0: no promises. You know, who knows how long we're going to run our mouths. So just to catch you up on what rule four is, um, it is drain the shallows. This is the uh, second half of um, that discussion. Um, and just to summarize what draining the shallows means, it means uh, eliminating as much shallow work as possible to hopefully drive success and excellence. There's a limit to the amount of shallow work you can actually eliminate while still maintaining your position. And, and there's also a max amount of time of deep work that you can do in a day. Um, however, you should bias yourself towards the deep over the shallow. And that's what draining the shallows means. So um, where were we in the process of talking about the details of, of draining the shallows, Nick?
1: So the last thing we talked about last time was quantifying the depth of every activity. How deep is it? How shallow is it? Cal Newport says do this in the number of months you think it would take an intern to complete the task and let that kind of be your guide. You and I talked about maybe just classifying as shallow or deep or in between, but The next tip here is ask your boss for a shallow work budget. So maybe you make a budget for technology purchases, but you should make one for shallow work. Here's the idea. Describe the concept of deep work to your boss and ask what percentage of your time should be spent doing deep versus shallow. This can drive down the expectation to be extremely connected, something maybe we all would want, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) The budget may also change your behavior so, for example, biasing you against status update meetings in favor of being accountable for deadlines. And it will also alert you if you and your boss have wildly different ideas about how much of your time should be spent on shallow work. You might need a new position if this can't be resolved. Interesting stuff. What do you think, John? Do you believe it?
0: Yeah, I believe it. And I'm not actually sure that this applies to me. So this is how I've, like, taken it, right? This is a step that you can take if um, your manager or teammates or somebody at your organization thinks that you are not connected enough, that you are not responsive enough to emails or chats or, or how, whatever the culture of your organization says you need to be responsive in, right? So you know, that means constantly looking up from your work to see if you've somebody's uh, sent you a chat or an email You know, interrupting yourself every few minutes to do that, like, you know, really foundationally, like undermining the idea of doing, you know, deep, uninterrupted, uh, distraction-free work, right? The entire foundation of this book. So if you and your team have a conflict about how connected you should be, you know, um, to do this, then, you know, present this idea, right? This idea of a shallow work budget. Me personally, I have not had a problem with that. You know, almost never is there an email that, you know, needs my attention in the next 15 minutes. And if there is, then, you know, usually people try to get in touch with me in multiple channels because email is a terrible way to try to get a hold of somebody. Right. So chat, maybe a little bit, uh, you know, another channel, text or a phone call. Um, you know, but, you know, I'm on so many different chats that, uh, I can't afford to interrupt my work every single time there's a chat update that just doesn't make any sense. So, you know, what I have to do is turn off my alerts. You know, I don't, I don't see them at all. And nobody has said, Hey, you're not responsive enough. Hey, you're, you're just not responding. You're, you're not, you're dropping the ball, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, I set some reminders to do it multiple times a day, but it's not in the middle of when I'm doing deep work. So, you know, because of that of that, I have not had to implement this. That's why I don't think that this applies to me, but I understand, you know, why it might apply to other people. And and you also have to take into account like what your job actually is. If, you know, a big Metric for success of your job is monitoring a specific chat channel like a slack channel and and you're on call for that slack channel and and giving like a you know a ninety second response time then you know that's then that is your job, and you know you shouldn't be accountable for something else other than that right <laughs> like so that's that's where the conflict comes in. It's like hey, if you want me to monitor this slack channel, then I need to do that. And you can't also make, you know, ask me to do, you know, deep research which requires like, you know, just no distractions and deep concentration while I'm also monitoring a Slack channel. Anyway, that's just kind of my take on it. How about you, Nick?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I I like the way you stated that a lot of it depends on your roles and responsibilities. So I'm going to say maybe a little to both. In my mind, My managers have set expectations for turnaround times on things like email and encouraged our team to do the same thing, right? 24-hour turnaround on email, call text if it's more pressing. I get that. I'm not saying that I've done a great job of promoting those turnaround times to the people I work with, but that's a different story. But I, I can't help but think back to the episode with Brad Pinkston I don't remember the episode number. We'll put it in the show notes. But it was the one where he talked about how to get to know a new manager. And he said, talk to them, figure out what their communication style is, ask them how they like to be updated. And I think in that conversation, you can also figure out what the turnaround times are and the expectations are for you to be connected and communicate, at least with your manager. And maybe you can start doing the same thing with your your coworkers. But I think you might not always be in a situation where you have to ask your boss for a shallow work budget you know what I mean like that may not even be necessary based on what you're doing now if you feel like the things you are doing are of no value and that's something you feel like is missing from your job then yeah go through the exercise quantify the depths and present that back to them like hey 50% of my day is not really providing a ton of value that's my thinking you know this if you're doing too much shallow work and you don't want to be I think it could lead to extreme dissatisfaction that
0: makes a lot of sense to me I believe Brad Pinkston was episodes 83 and 84
1: yep somewhere in that range yeah
0: I definitely didn't just look it up while you were talking so
1: nice that's why we have (laughs) co-hosts that makes sense
0: like uh, yeah, no, I think what you said makes sense. It's it's about that adaptation, right? It's about about flexing, and it's about discovering, and then compromising. Sure. I I think I'm just a little bit more about, you know, if if you're being asked to do something which requires deep work to do really really well, and also being asked to do something which requires a certain amount of distraction and those confl- you know have a conflict, then that's where you need to have this discussion. So maybe that's just me like retrenching. <laughs> no, but, you're right uh, on. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so you're just
1: being that guy who wants to be right. That's why that's how <laughs> I took it.
0: It's like, you know me sometimes. <laughs> All right. Does it make me want to change behavior? And if so, what will I change to align myself with this idea? That's like, you know, the foundational question. Like I think personally, I don't want to change anything right now, but I do feel like well armed with knowledge and, you know, like a philosophical approach to have a conversation with my management or my teammates or, you know, you know, colleagues, you know, that are not on my specific team, if it ever becomes an issue, right? It's like, Hey, This is the thing that I need to do. It requires like, you know, concentration and, and no interruptions. And so while I'm doing it, you know, it's on my calendar. You can see that's what I'm doing. It says, you know, John is doing deep work or something along those lines. You know, I'm just not going to be available. Right. It's just as if I was in a meeting, you know, in an important meeting, you wouldn't expect me to, um, be easily available via chat. That just wouldn't make sense.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I agree with you, John. At at this point, it doesn't make me want to change anything. I see it as a button you press if and when you need to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's good to be, to have like a tool in the toolbox. You don't necessarily need to pull it out. Right. You know, it's just in case. You never know when your work situation is going to change or um, your manager changes or you just switch teams or you change jobs or whatever, you know, like that's. You're ready to have that conversation. So I like the tool and I like the tip. So next on our list uh, as part of Drain the Shallows is finish your work by 5.30. So Cal Newport calls this fixed schedule productivity. Set the end time and work backwards to schedule things so that you can actually end at that time. And this includes carefully guarding that shallow work budget. You only have so much shallow work that you're you're going to allow yourself to do. It's it's a really interesting concept. Um, do I believe this, and does it apply to me? I do believe it. What I'm taking from this uh, idea is not necessarily the um, the five thirty time because that's not always possible, especially in our jobs where you know sometimes you're. Um, hey, if you're an IT professional, you might be on call. You know, or you might ha- be scheduled to work on a shift that ends at 8 p.m. So, like, obviously, you're not gonna, you know, finish your work by 5:30. You know, like that just doesn't make any sense. And sometimes, hey, I'm taking colleagues out to dinner. I'm taking customers out to dinner, um, or I'm traveling. You know, there's any number of things that can keep me, you know, past 5:30. Some kind of emergency situation. But what I do see is valuable from this. And what I do believe is that you should have a general guidance that you are going to end your day at a specific time and then work backwards from there to make sure that you can actually walk away from your job at that time. Like nothing is um, left at, you know, as a loose end. You've recorded all of the action items from the day that you've accumulated in a place in a, in a system that you can quickly find them. Um, those are all things, you know, that I do truly believe. I'm not saying I'm perfect at this, you know, but I've definitely been focusing on it and getting better, you know, so it is what it is. How about you?
1: So my initial gut reaction was, yeah, that can't be done. Slash is unrealistic to do consistently, but, but I like what you said about, it doesn't necessarily have to be 5.30 for you. And notice there was no time zone given, right? It could be Pacific, <laughs> Central, <laughs> all kinds of time zones there. So it also made me think of the, okay, you're about to go to a doctor's appointment and, and miss part of your day, or you're about to go to, a you know, one of your kids' activities and it's really important, or you're going to take half a day off. Like you, you have to work backwards from that, and it, it's sort of a – time boxing on a larger scale, if you will, setting that boundary with yourself. Sure. So so I think you stated it very well, and uh, it was definitely a better reaction than what I had because I was just like, I don't think I can do that consistently <laughs> at 5.30, yeah. but maybe it's not 5.30 for you, and you're going to run into situations where you have to have a cutoff time. Yeah. And that's the spirit of the advice.
0: Yeah, I think the issue is that If you're doing knowledge work right which is what most uh, people who are practicing deep work are doing you have an infinite amount of work that you could be doing right it just never ends you're not going to get to the end right so you have to put a boundary on it right sometimes you have outcome limits right where you're like hey there's a deadline for this thing it has to be done today um, and sorry, I'm telling you this at 3 p.m., and it's a six-hour task. You know that is not good, and a job that does that too often is probably a job you should start thinking about moving out of, right? But it happens, you know. And if it's if it's rare and you're appreciated for it, then I think it's okay to you know take on those kinds of things and and violate like your your idea of what your day is going to look like and how it's going to end. So stuff, stuff happens and you have to rejuggle your schedule like that. That's life. But, you know, if you have, uh, if you have the goal and you start working backwards from the goal, then you know what you need to do to get there. And then you also need, you know, what you need to do to, to juggle in order to, to, um, to react to things that come up.
1: Yeah. And I'll also say, you know, my immediate reaction was I can't do it. But I also haven't set that time and said, here's where I'm going to finish by. So right, maybe I should try that a few times and see how it goes.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, for me, I, I did exactly that. And, and what that meant was like I, I needed to put a meeting on my calendar at 5.15 that said, you know, start organizing your task management system. Right, so now that's a blocker on my calendar that people can't schedule. Um, so that means, you know, during that time, I need to take all the stuff that's still in my head from whatever the last thing I was doing and start shutting down. And then I found out actually it takes like 30 minutes, so I had to start <laughs> scheduling that from five to five thirty, right? Um, and if I got done early, then that's great, and I I'd get done a little bit early. But you know, the fact of the matter is, like, if you don't leave that time to actually organize your thoughts at the end of the day. Um, you're just not going to be able to pick up in a way that makes any sense uh, the next morning or Monday right. morning or whenever it is that you next start working. So that shutdown time needs to start happening. So you schedule that shutdown time and then like that affects like the the last meeting that you can have or, you know, that last, you know, administrative time block or deep work time block you know and then again that shuffles back the other stuff that you need to do to put on your in your time blocking so i i don't know it's again i'm not saying i'm perfect at it because i'm definitely not right now i'm at about like a 30 percent um of the time doing it you know but i still think that it that's up from like zero so (laughs) yeah for
1: me it's a missing metric altogether so okay to your point maybe i should start right but does it motivate me to want to start right now hmm. there's nothing wrong with it I, I could use some more balance in my life so yeah i should probably start
0: is do you not have a desire to end at five thirty? 30 oh that's a tougher question
1: than i thought it was yeah that is a tough question i don't know if there's like a fear of setting the goal because i'm afraid i won't be able to hit it you know what i mean yeah. it's not the five thirty time specifically it, it, you know, I, I hadn't heard the perspective you gave until we recorded the show, so mm-hmm. I liked your idea of not necessarily making it 5.30, maybe it's 6 o'clock, maybe it's 5 o'clock, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It could It could depend on the day and what your family schedule's like, even. Yeah. Maybe that's a better way to do it.
0: Yeah, like, hey, I need to pick up this, the kids at school at 3.30 today. That yeah. means I need to be done by 2.45. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I... Cause it takes me 45 minutes to get out the door and over to the school. And there's just, that's a hard stop, you know? So, and,
1: and some people might even say that this is common sense. You know what I mean? Now that we're talking it out. Mm-hmm. And, and I think for me, maybe it's just fear of not being able to hit the goal. Hmm. Interesting. And I think there's just this deep, I don't know if I can do that. Right. I think I have the workaholic tendencies, you know? Mm. So the, the shutdown routine and, Trying to not check email after hours and things is uh, is a battle.
0: Right. That's right, because uh, not checking email is a problem for mm-hmm. you, right? That's like yeah. a behavior that you're not even sure that you wanted to stop.
1: Well, I definitely would, would like to stop being addicted to email, but mm-hmm. uh, it's challenging. Yeah, yeah.
0: Especially that feeling that you're missing something. That yeah. fear, maybe. That something's happened, and you've been notified, and you're not responding. And right now, it's been 27 minutes since they sent the email, and they're looking at their inbox going, I assumed that this guy was going to get back to me by now, with the answer. What a jerk. What a jerk. I mean, honestly, that's the fear, right? I mean, at least that's been my fear.
1: Yeah. Um, so and I, I should
0: probably shouldn't project that.
1: but In some ways, we create our own situations. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. part of this is a situation that I've created myself, right? And uh, I just have to take steps to change it a little bit. Yeah. And maybe that aligns with the next point Ooh. really well. We
0: call that segue, folks. Yeah.
1: So the next point is become hard to reach. And please, as I read this, I'd be really curious to to hear what you think about the level of selfishness involved. So, we can't quit email, but we don't need to give it control of all our attention. Wow, it's like he's talking to me, John. (laughs) And he gives us three tips here. I'm just going to do tip number one. Make people who send you email do more work. So, he talks about publishing a general inquiries email and tell people what you expect of them to evaluate their message. Now, also set the expectation that you might not respond immediately or at all.
0: Got it. Yeah. Tip number two is do more work when you send a reply to emails. So, you know, here's the the quote. Um, what is the project represented by this message? And what is the most efficient in terms of messages generated process for bringing this project to a successful conclusion? Um So this is more of a, like a process centric approach to email spelling out the process to get from the current state to the desired state with a minimum number of additional email interactions. Right? So the whole idea here is to reduce the emails in your inbox. And, and then, uh, you know, as a result the brain power that you're using to process those emails and the idea is to entirely move the task from like inbox memory into an actual like task management system you know david allen of getting things done uh, called this closing the loop um this is this means like putting more work into crafting your email responses to lay out the future process and as a result minimize the chance that you end up playing email ping pong you know requiring you to spend more time and energy monitoring your inbox as that project management tool so instead of saying you know somebody going hey uh like let's uh hammer out this proposal you say something like you know or a ping-pong response would be like yeah what time's good for you and a like a process-centric approach would be something along the lines of here's my availability in you know one hour blocks over the next three days um i suggest that we meet in person at this location you know in one of those uh you know one hour blocks um you tell me what's, you know, best for you. And uh, you can uh, put the invite on my calendar and just assume that I'm accepting it. Right. So that doesn't, so there's no like, oh, you know, how about now? Oh, no, I can't, I can't do it now. How about in 10 minutes? No, I'm not available in 10 minutes. You know, there's all those things can go like back and forth in email and chat and, you know, whatever, you know, way, Um, you know, so like one response that just lays out a suggested you know process for getting from like where you are all the way to the end of the process like is the best way uh, to, to do those kinds of things it's hard because it's a little bit more work but there it is
1: yeah and there's also tip number three don't respond and this one just makes me smile so From professorial email sorting, we have, do not reply to an email message if any of the following are true. It's ambiguous or otherwise makes it hard for you to generate a reasonable response. It's not a question or proposal that interests you. (laughs) Nothing really good would happen if you did respond, and nothing really bad would happen if you didn't. Exceptions should be obvious based on role power or relationship. Let the small bad things happen that might happen reclaim the good big things that happen when you don't manage your projects via email responses. So, so much to untangle there. The question is, is this really being a jerk or is it not? We'll answer that in our reactions.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean that, these tips to become harder to reach are so interesting because, you know, to a certain degree, becoming harder to reach is not in, you know, one of the goals that we're necessarily setting out to accomplish, you know, in in knowledge work, you know, the, especially in us, we're in technical sales, like we want our customers to be able to reach us because, you know, part of the job is customer service. So, you know, probably, you know, in that last thing that you said, you know, exceptions should be obvious. It should be obvious, like, that's not who we're talking about. We're not talking about the, the people who it is our job to respond to right the people who have role power over us our manager our director the vice president of the division that we work in like those are all people that we respond to if they're asking us for a response
1: and if you're in tech support you can't just not respond
0: yeah just be difficult to reach in tech support i mean some people do practice that form of uh tech support but uh it's probably not a a high you know customer satisfaction type of tech support right so does this apply to me, right? Uh, do I believe this and does it apply to me? I think it definitely applies to me. I've definitely seen people in my workplace ask others to do some work before scheduling a meeting on a specific topic. So I think like my work culture allows it. So let me be a little bit more specific here. Um, I had uh, somebody suggest that I talk to a sales rep in a different uh, region area who covered a specific customer. Um, and this rep had published a win on, you know, a sale to like a big sale to the customer. And in uh, the contact information uh, that the company published, there is a specific note that said, if you want to talk about this Windwire or this customer, hey, I've done this talk. Here's a recording of the talk. I've done another talk. Here's a recording of that talk. It has slightly different information. If you uh, watch both those discussions and I haven't answered the question that you need about that you know, deal, then feel free to put some time on my calendar, which is completely reasonable. Right? That makes a lot of sense to me. I don't know that I'm getting enough requests via email to make this an issue for me. Um, you know, even the emails that we get as a result of the podcast don't really rise to that level.
1: You know, are you just not getting them? the thousands in our (laughs) inboxes?
0: Maybe you're not getting them. No, I mean, I, I mean, I definitely get, I definitely get messages as a result of the podcast, right? Like we've offered many, many times and we've specifically asked people to reach out to us. Now, the volume of messages that I get as a result of that. Does not overwhelm me to the point where I'm, you know, just losing time responding to those messages. You know, specific people reach out and they have fairly specific asks. You know, hey, um, I'm applying for this position. Can you help do some mock interviews, or can you give me insight into um, this part of my resume, or? You know, do I need to change it? And, and it's fairly targeted and I'm happy to spend the time to help them. And I, you know, publish, um, if people reach out to me, I publish a way to like schedule my time during the day, um, to, to actually do that. Right. So, you know, it's just been not an issue, right. But if I started to get five messages a day about helping with resume writing, then maybe my instinct would be to, you know, kind of take those things, you know, write it into a document and then say, hey, um, if you're, you know, reaching out to me about, you know, resume writing advice, maybe uh, read this article first and read these like, you know, uh, maybe listen to these podcast episodes where I've talked about these specific issues and, you know, kind of do an index of the, the resume episodes that we've done and in the time codes. And if you still have questions, you know, then feel free to reach out to me and schedule time. Right. That that might be um, you know something I'd do again if the volume, you know, rose to that level where I felt like I needed some kind of filter. Um, and then, you know, as far as just not responding, you know, the, that's the kind of thing where, you know, I just again I'm not getting the volume of messages where somebody might reach out to me and go, wow, just, uh, you know, like, it's really fascinating that you're doing this. It, it, that's, that's a statement, not a question, right? And I think that's just the kind of thing, you know, that um, Cal Newport's talking about, right? Whereas like, okay, um, you know, the the person expressed what they wanted to express, you know, and they didn't really ask for anything. So is it, is a, is a reply warranted? I don't know. What was the second tip again? That was the do more work when you send a reply do more email. Work. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I totally believe that, and I've you know, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like the trying to trying to like shortcut the the back and forth in emails, like you know, declutters your inbox in a way that is you know very very powerful. Like so internally, like. We use a tool or we have access to a tool called group availability. So if somebody's trying to schedule time with myself and a colleague of mine, like I, I can actually say here over the next like seven business days are all the times that that we both have 30 minutes of overlapping availability. And, you know, what's of those times, what's best for you? You know, that shortcuts a whole lot of stuff, right? Shortcuts a whole lot of, well, this person's not available, this person, oh, you know, like, it's like, here's our overlapping availability, and it's, and it's good for two, three, four, five people. It, it doesn't matter. So you just have to figure out who the most important people are um, to, you know, be on that discussion and then be able to publish that. That's kind of how I see it anyway. How about you?
1: So for me, it goes back to those set expectations for email responses, I like that concept, right? And again, I said it earlier, I can't say that I've done that well. People only know what they observe, right? What am I, 37 minutes after whatever email came into my inbox? So I I don't think all of us can make a general inquiries email that we choose to respond or not respond to. You know what I mean? We're not all academic professors. But to your point, the concept is interesting, and it helps you scale That's really what we're talking about. The scalability of you. Can you address the things in an easier way so that that attention to responding doesn't take away from the work you need to do? In in light of (laughs) making others do more work, I can't help but think about Don Jones and the episode where he talked about sending somebody a four-page email response that they never responded to. And I just... I thought it was hilarious when he told the story. I'm skeptical whether other people actually would read a longer email thoroughly enough for it to actually be effective. And maybe maybe that's just something you, you train your audience on a little bit, more than anything. And I, I totally get not responding to something if you're on CC and there's no response required. You know what I mean? Totally understand that. In light of the not responding at all, I see what he's saying, you know, I'm not, I'm with you. I don't get that much fan mail, if if any, right? <laughs> that I that I choose to just not respond to, and I, I think that I think that I have the issue where I don't want people to think I'm a jerk if I don't respond to an inquiry. That's just my take.
0: Yeah, I mean that makes sense to me. You know, it's it's about managing email when there's a conflict, right? Right. So. If there's no conflict, then these are tools that you don't need to use.
1: This is QoS for email management, I think is what you just said.
0: (laughs) I I do think that that second tip about laying out a process makes a lot of sense. I think probably a four-page response is overwhelming, right? Like, you know, but if you say, here's the process that I think that we should follow, here's my availability, here's the place that I suggest that we meet, you know, you put time on the calendar, and and you can assume that I will automatically accept it, and then here's the agenda that I think that we should talk about, but, you know, add whatever you want to it. I mean, that, that just spells it out, and there's no, you, you've cut out a lot of the things that could go, that could turn into 10 emails, right?
1: Yeah, and you're removing the ambiguity by giving the person on the other side a clear process so that they can make a decision. Yeah.
0: And if they don't agree with one of those steps, then they can say that. Yeah. You know, cause you can preface the whole thing by here's what I propose. So yeah. that gives them permission to disagree with that process.
1: And it helps break your focus on just getting the email back out. Yeah. Quick response and uh, quality over quantity.
0: Yes. Yes. Right. So th- that's, you know, it's an interesting metric, right? Um, how quickly you respond versus how high of a quality of response do you provide when you do respond? Yep. Right. Cause, cause you could, you know, somebody could send you an email at 8 AM and like, Hey, why don't we work on this today? And you send a response at like eight Oh one saying, yeah, I mean, you've responded, <laughs> but nothing has been accomplished. Exactly. Like no time's been scheduled, <laughs> no agreement about like, you know, how far you need to get during the day you know when you're gonna meet like none of that has been spelled out right so it was a fast response but it was also a useless response like well virtually useless you've you've expressed agreement but nothing else right you you, it's even ambiguous as to who's supposed to take the next action right Right. so uh, you know is it better to respond like two hours later but say Here's the times that I see that we're both available the rest of the day. Here's an, you know, an hour. I've already put it on the calendar. I put a proposed agenda, but feel free to, you know, give me a different time, you know, and a different agenda.
1: Yeah, it's like pulling up to a fast food restaurant drive-through and the person just says, "Hey, how may I help you?" and you say, "Thanks." <laughs> and you just don't say anything for like right a little while and they don't know what to do. But if they if they take a second, let's say it's, let's say it takes 60 seconds after you drive up. Hey, welcome to Whataburger. How may I take your order? Let me know when you're ready. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thanks. Give me just mm-hmm. a second. Yeah. Yeah. You take your time and then you go so yeah. That's how I see it. Yeah.
0: So I think that's probably the the one that's most applicable of these three tips, you know, that just don't respond. Like I, I certainly get ambiguous messages and I'm CC'd on stuff that, you know, isn't really asking for my input. You know, I'm just being copied, you know, to be polite. And of course I, you know, so I don't respond to those. Right. But very, there's not very many things that I've done where I'm getting such a volume of people, you know, wanting to ask me a question about that one thing that, you know, I need them to do a little bit more work first. And and generally, by the way, like if there's something like that, I've already published a thing for them to read, right? So it's really just a matter of, you know, maybe it's an internal blog post or it's an internal document. And I can say, hey, yeah, just you know, read this and ask if ask me if you have any, you know, additional questions. You know, that's that's Hang something, on. right? i have had you know several people reach out to me as they're joining google who said hey you know i I noticed that like you know you talked about joining google from vmware on the nerd journey podcast and i'm doing something similar i'm joining from company a company b company c and you talked about you know that three-month check-in six-month check-in one-year check-in Mm-hmm. By the way, we didn't do a two year check in. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, oh, um, and then, you know, they want some advice and guidance and I'm happy to do that. It just hasn't again, risen to the level where it's like, okay, well, you know, I, I've done this 30 times and, and, you know, I'm, I've 30 more people asking me about it and I just don't have the time to you know do this for all these people like that. Right. Hasn't been an issue. So, um, I probably should. Now that I think about it, though, that seems to be the the thing that has happened the most often is you know, hey, I'm applying to Google, you know, can you give me some feedback on X, and hey, I've just joined Google, can you give me some advice now that I'm here, because the first day is scary, you know, um, and and both those things, you know, probably makes sense to write something up.
1: I think you just assigned yourself more homework John I yeah mean, we talked about last week that you had some homework to do anyway yeah I, I'm uh it's if you're out there and you're tracking John's homework tweet at us at nerd journey like let's get some let's get that list out there
0: yeah <laughs> hashtag John white metrics absolutely I, I don't know or should it be hashtag V journeyman metrics
1: hmm. do both okay. I mean there's plenty of room of room. Plenty of room in the characters.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm definitely going to do those things.
1: I think you're going to experience tag creep personally. <laughs>
0: Listen, Nick. Sometimes
1: I just ignore tags. <laughs> See, you're one of those people that just wouldn't read the email that I sent. I get it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, um, let's talk about the conclusion to the book. Uh, you know, there's there is a conclusion section. And here's the notes that I took on it. Deep work is a pragmatic choice to focus on the ability to concentrate without distraction and get valuable work done. It's not about taking a moral stance or making a philosophical statement. Pursuing deep work is difficult and most likely requires large changes in behavior and perhaps some sacrifices, um, particularly of attention monetizing (laughs) technology. Um, It might be difficult or even scary to produce the best work you're able to and have to face that it doesn't yet meet the standards that you want it to um, that actually require uh reminds me of uh, something that ira glass the creator and host of this american life said uh, the radio show um early on as you're a creator your taste will outstrip your ability right you know what it is that you like and you're trying to produce and the quality of output that you're producing doesn't necessarily meet the standards of your taste. Um, And here's the direct quote. But if you're willing to sidestep these comforts and fears, Cal Newport says, and instead struggle to deploy your mind to its fullest capacity to create things that matter, then you'll discover, as others have before you, that depth generates a life rich with productivity and meaning. So, you know, given that that's the conclusion to the book, maybe we should answer these questions, you know, not just about the conclusion, but about our experience with the book as a whole. That works. So the first question is, do I believe this and does it apply to me? Right. So, yeah, I mean, as for what the conclusion says, yeah, I love the idea that this is about, you know, pragmatism and not moral or philosophical, you know, stances. Um, I I do want to produce at a higher level than I'm producing now. And I do recognize that, you know, like the level of production that I'm able to put out has, you know, not necessarily met the standard that I want. And that's, you know, hindered me. Like just that last little, um, observation, I realized, oh, that's why I'm not blogging. It's because I feel like the right level of writing that I put out isn't the level of writing that I enjoy reading. And, you know, just that observation is, is worth, you know, the price of admission. Like, you know, I felt like when we started, you know, podcasting, it probably wasn't the level of podcast that we both enjoyed listening to, but we just kept at it and hopefully we've gotten better. Um, the book as a whole, it, you know, takes that task management idea that I read about in David Allen's Getting Things Done. And it's focused, you know, that book is focused on productivity and Cal Newport, you know, adds in the dimensions of depth of meaning and long-term value. And I think that was what was probably missing from getting things done. Um, It's helped me figure out my foundational philosophy of the type of work I want to do and, you know, which of the tasks in front of me actually aligns with that philosophy. So I guess aside from, like, you know, philosophical stances, you know, we're back on philosophy. Like, you know, deep work is the type of work I want to do. And I need to apply that filter to, you know, all the tasks in front of me, which, which ones of those are actually deep work that will help me put out high quality work that will, you know, advance, um, me and my brand and the type of work that I'm trying to do. How about you?
1: So I definitely believe it. And I think it applies to me. The key word for me in all of the things in the conclusion is struggle. Mm-hmm. Because it really is a struggle to change your behavior. I don't care what it is. You want to lose weight. You want to get in shape. You want to stop some kind of undesirable habit. And really, that one, stopping the undesirable habit, is kind of what this whole thing is about. But you may not have realized it was an undesirable habit until you read the book or some like it. Yeah. So I think back to Switch by Chip and Dan Heath, the steps to create change when change is hard is direct the writer, the logical part.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Have we motivated the elephant? Step mm-hmm. two, the emotional self, right? Without the emotional motivation, you it doesn't matter if you know. And then number three is shape the path. So take the steps to enable the change. And I think Newport does a pretty good job of giving us some practical tips throughout the book to do that. Okay. On first glance for me, The first time I read it, I actually thought that some of the tips were super inflexible. Mm -hmm. The amount of structure is completely overwhelming to me. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't mind structure, but like I said in previous episodes, it seems like sometimes it's just too much. And I don't think that every human you're going to meet is willing to do the things in this book. I think it takes work to do deep work, and it's a process of continuous monitoring effort and evaluation Mm -hmm. so yeah definitely applies yeah definitely need to do it will not be easy for me
0: it's interesting that you say that like my reaction to what you said about the structure is total agreement you know there are some like hard and fast rules I mean we just talked about one finish your work by 530 you know time block your entire day and and I just think that um, upon further review like you know cal newport is coming from a position where he has the ability to do that he's a professor at a research institution research university right georgetown so like where's the georgia tech Ah, i don't remember he's a professor at a research institution so he has the ability to control his schedule to that degree and i think that it's our job to take the lesson and apply the underlying meaning and not the surface meaning, right? 530 in my mind is like, well, okay, obviously it can't be 530 because some people do shift work, right? There you, you go. Know, even shift knowledge work, you know, that's a thing that totally happens. Like, hey, you know, we work four days a week, but we work 10 hours a day. Like, okay, well, then you're not going to finish at 530, right? Um, it's, it's those types of like things where it's like, okay, the it might be spelled out, uh, and it might seem inflexible, but really, you know, can you look past the, the hard and fast rule as it's stated to look at the underlying meaning, you know, and uh, take that structure and uh, and learn from it. I, I, I But I totally get what it is that you're saying, like, can, can I, you know, fully schedule my entire day, you know, um, or can I, you know, interpret that to be something a little bit different than, you know, putting... One hundred percent blocks on every single hour of the day, you know, as of eight a.m. every day. Like I, you know, that, those those are two different things. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, last question here, before we wrap out wrap up, um, does it make me want to change behavior? And if so, what will I change to align myself with the underlying philosophies of the conclusion and the book as a whole? Reading this book makes me want to change. Like, you know, I've already started changing. I think. You know, we've both, like, talked about that, and you've heard me say, oh, I've already started changing this, I've already started changing this. Like, I've done more fundamental things. I've reorganized my career goals around doing deep work. Um, You know, I've started to quantify how I'm spending my time with the time flip, right? I have it on podcasting activity right now. Um, I started to push back on the amount of shallow work that I'm doing or at least, you know, how I'm doing it. You know, I'm trying to bunch it up into time blocks in my day rather than, you know, attacking it as it happens or as it's uh, presented to me, you know, in order to interrupt, you know, what should be deep work. Like, this has been, like, a super revolutionary read for me. So, you know, I'm going to keep on iterating on this. Like, I know that I haven't fully committed to, you know, getting everything, you know, every part of this implemented, like in my mind, you know, I want to, I want to switch over to this style and philosophy. And, and I think that, you know, mentally and, and emotionally I have, it's just a matter of, you know, implementing, you know, all of it in the real world, which is probably a little bit more incremental. How about you?
1: I know the payoff is definitely worth it. And I know that to advance in our field, we want to be doing our best work. Totally get it. And creating that environment or the atmosphere that allows me to do that work completely aligns with wanting to get promoted, wanting to get pay raises, aligns with personal values. So, yeah, I definitely want to do it. Do I think I've done as much work as you in fundamentally changing my behavior? I don't think I have. Like, I don't think I've done enough to change it, and I want to, <laughs> I want to change the uh the amount of changes I have made. Let's just say that. I need to be more consistent and change small things at a time. So in that light, here's what I'll say. I think that to a certain extent not only is this book about breaking bad habits, changing bad habits, but it's also about preserving your mental health. It's about self care, if you think about it. And I know not everyone will think about it that way, but the, the boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. And I tend to think of the advice in the book very similar to what Michael Bruce, a sleep psychologist, said in The Power of When*. He talks about the perfect day for people with a specific chronotype, and you should do this at this specific time of day. But he qualifies that with even small changes will give you an improvement. And to your point about iterating, I think that's the key. Like, you can make small changes... You know, for me, it's turning off the notifications of email, right? Talked about that. Like, I don't see email unless I manually go force check it. Does it mean I'm doing it too much? Maybe. You know what I mean? Do I need to maybe schedule that, space it out more? Yeah, probably. I, I think that if you try to change everything suggested across all four rules at the same time, you will fail. Yeah, you I can definitely see that. You will fall off the horse. Yeah. So you need to pick something maybe it's a, a small win, right? The low hanging fruit as we call it. What's a quick win for you so that you can measure whether that is working? Okay, I've I've got that down. I've mastered that thing, you know, I've I've begun inventorying my time or I've begun quantifying my tasks in terms of shallow deep. I've stopped you know, checking email and Twitter and LinkedIn every five minutes when I have a break or all those things, right? And and go down the list. But part of that is tracking it, checking in on yourself. Because if you don't do it consistently, you will not have built the new habit up. And you'll go back into the old habit. And I think for me, that's the problem. Like some of the things, I may be trying to do too many at once and I need to stick with one. And just succeed in that get the success it doesn't seem as overwhelming that way and then it's more like the Dave Ramsey debt snowball
0: yeah that one action has like a virtuous cycle it's freed up your attention in order to do in it you know enough good things that now you have the free time to free up your emotional resources to work on the next thing yes and then now that you have those two things done, that's freed up even you know, a little bit more time and has put, you know, better boundaries up and you have more time and attention to do the third thing. And I, I really like that idea of um, like that virtuous cycle. That feels really good to me, yeah.
1: Yeah, and you know, even if even if the first thing you start with is the being okay with being bored and using mm-hmm. that time to Cognitively focus while you're taking a walk Or something else on a problem you need to solve And just comp- trying to completely Wrangle your mind onto solving That problem And using that to your advantage Maybe that makes a, a huge Difference for you But you have to practice it
0: Yeah definitely I, I found What you're talking about like a very compelling Way to do this And I also Like it also struck me that what you said earlier about um the the heaths you know like getting Mm -hmm. your um the logical part of your brain and you know motivating the elephant as you you know as they put it like Mm -hmm. that's what the first half of this book is all about is making the logical argument and then motivating you emotionally as to the benefits you know um of aligning yourself with this philosophy right um, so logical and emotional arguments. And, you know, I found that, you know, this book was a really good example of that. It's just a matter of like, as you personally, you know, do you agree with it first? And that's up to you, you know, dear listener to um, to decide for yourself, like, you know, as we wrap this up, like, you know, I'm I'm interested in hearing what other people have done um, in listening to the series. Has it motivated them to uh, buy the book, read the book? borrow the book from the library.
1: Have us send it to you for free via Audible.
0: Yeah, sure. Happy Happy to do to do
1: that for anybody who wants it. DM us on Twitter.
0: Absolutely. And how has our discussion, you know, changed or affected, you know, your read or listen of that book? And how has your reaction been to the content, you know, aside even from us? So I'm really fascinated to hear that.
1: And are there other sources and books that you're seeing very similar advice that maybe we haven't read? Yeah. And we'd, we'd definitely be interested in, in exploring those.
0: Complimentary advice and you know what? Conflicting advice as well. Yeah. I'd be very interested in reading, you know, conflicting advice to kind of hold those two ideas in my head and let them duke it out. There you go. Which, which is actually what Cal Newport advises you do. <laughs> Uh, well, that's well, part that...
1: of that craftsman approach to tool selection. I mean, I, I think the looking at the different viewpoints is part of that approach.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Well, Nick, I, I can't believe it, but I think we've actually finished this series on Deep Work by Cal Newport.
1: Is that is that the end of Nerd Journey as we know it?
0: Ah, uh, wow. Probably not but um, Probably not. <laughs> no. There's more. There's always. There's more. definitely more, since we definitely have a bunch of interviews in the in the can. Yes, we do. Um, yes, we do. Uh, anything else before we get out of here?
1: I think that maybe from time to time, and it doesn't have to be a full segment on the show. Maybe we just share, like, here's where I am. Yeah. On this deep work journey, here's one thing I changed. You know. And sharing that with somebody else, something that you have changed that was really helpful to you, they may just not know. Like, they may not be mindful of these things or that they have these habits. So it's not that you (laughs) have to give people advice when they don't ask for it. But if it comes up in conversation and they need some helpful advice, maybe you have some. Yeah. And, And if you have some for us, love to hear it.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: So just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. And don't forget to smash that subscribe button. We're collectively on Twitter, at NerdJourney.
0: Awesome. Farewell listeners, and tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White, at VJourneyman, For Nick Cordy, at Network Nerd Underscore, signing off.
1: Adios. Go do deep work.